Let's, the rest of us, please open our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Jonathan, can you soften this a tiny bit? Just a little less of this. A little less. Thank you. All right. Uh, Acts chapter 20. Let us pray again. And then into the scripture we go for some time today. Our Father, thank you now that as we have already had a blessed time to worship here today, to reflect, to think, to praise you, now we come to a very important time of our worship, one we set a lot of time aside for, which is to read and to study your word, because we need to hear from you. Please teach us and encourage us, Lord. Help your children to be edified, built up, that our lives as we walk might be bear fruit, which glorifies and honors you. Thank you, Lord. Help me to speak Help me and all of us to hear, to believe, and to be doers of it. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 19, Acts chapter 20 and verse 19. So, well, I might as well start in verse 17 just to read it, but our study will really pick up in verse 19. So, from Miletus, you know the setting, I won't go over it all today. From Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And then he gives them this address. And when he had, they had come to him, he said to them, and here it is. We're in the midst of this sermon. You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you see from there, he launches into and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me. So it's this part of the sermon where we have already spent two full times of study. The first time we studied this, and actually we had a whole week of introduction before that too, didn't we? But the, the first sermon looking at the text, we talked about the whole idea where he said, in what manner, right? So we talked about the whole idea that he was reminding them of the example that he set. And we talked about how Christ sets an example for us, how Paul set an example for them, how we are supposed to set examples as Christians for people in our lives. We talked about how uh, even our Christian testimony should be light shining before the world that God might use that to turn people to himself. So we even set examples by our love and our walk and our testimony for others. Then last week, We got as far as serving the Lord, right? And we talked about the importance of serving the Lord. And I won't review all of that now. 
I encourage you to, if you want to review any of that, go back and you can listen to those sermons. They're all up online. But then when he says serving the Lord, then he describes his service to the Lord. And that's what I want to focus on here this morning is just the end of this sentence, if we could possibly get through it in our time here today. He says, uh, in what manner I lived among you, serving the Lord with, and there's three things that I want to highlight for you, and just for time's sake, I'm going to plow right into them, okay? Serving the Lord with all humility, that'll be the first one, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, that'll be number two, and then how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. All of that is the third thing that's in there. So there's basically three ways that Paul describes the service to the Lord that he sets forth as an example for them. We can learn from this. We can learn historically what was important to the church. We can learn what pastors ought to primarily be doing. And we can learn what all of us should especially be looking for and looking to attend to in our lives. There is teaching here for every Christian just to know the history of the church, to see how God has worked. There is teaching specifically for pastors and for every Christian as they live and interact with their pastor. And there is teaching for every Christian and how they ought to live. And what are, again, those three things? Number one, he speaks of humility, which is really, at first, as I was thinking about it, 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 it seems to describe an attitude but it's more than just an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart that gets applied to the life. The word I think that best describes humility, even better than attitude, is position. It speaks of the position that you take before God and before other people. And then the second thing that he talked about uh, was how he endured many hard things and did what? Again, the enduring of them was not something where he just sat back and just let it come at him and let him depress him and beat him down and everything else. What did he do? He continued to serve through those things, the tears and all that stuff. What do we call that? We call that perseverance. Perseverance. And then the third thing was he described what he actually did, right? What from his position of humility and while persevering through all of the tears and the trials and everything else, what did he do? He knew what his purpose was. There's something that gets thrown, a lot, thrown out a lot among Christians, purpose. Usually when Christians describe purpose, it's because they're unhappy with their lives and so they're looking for some answers into the, in the Bible to what their true purpose is. There are books written about it. There are seminars about it. Some of them are very famous, right? But when you look here, you see what Paul's purpose was and you see what the purpose for the church was. And I'm telling you, as a Christian, until your understanding of what purpose is lines up with what is taught here in Scripture, you're going to continue to be frustrated because this describes for a Christian what our purpose is. So yeah, you see how I did that? You see how they all begin with P? Yeah, you can appreciate. I actually came up with an alliterated outline today. There you go. So he talks about his position, 
He talks about his perseverance and he talks about his purpose. And so let's learn from those three things here today. Let's start, number one, with his position. He said, I serve the Lord, not with all prominence. I serve the Lord, not with all authority. I serve the Lord, not with all celebrity. I serve the Lord, not with all fame. I serve the Lord, not with all resources. I serve the Lord, not with all riches. I serve the Lord not just striving to be as big and famous and popular as I could possibly be. I serve the Lord by doing whatever I had to do to keep everybody in line with me. No. I serve the Lord with all humility. Humility. This is the position that Paul had among, first of all, before God but second of all, among all of the people of God in the church. It was a position of humility. What is humility? We need to understand that word. Humility is not self-flagellation. Humility is not beating yourself up. We have all known, I have anyway, in the past times where people can be very proud of their humility, right? They'll, They'll gladly boast about how bad they are and how, how hard they are. And they'll, they'll even come to revel and joke about some of the past sins and past wickedness they used to want, as if that were something. And then they'll, they'll discuss that like that's humility. That's not humility. That's actually pride and carnality. Real humility is what? Real humility is in your spirit and in your attitude in a way that causes you to interact consistently with that, with other people, placing yourself in a position beneath them. To humble yourself before God truly means to recognize and to live and to act under his wings, under his authority, under him. To humble yourself before your brothers and sisters in Christ means basically to do the same thing. It means to recognize that it's not about me, it's to recognize that my life now, because he's talking about service, right? I mean, it's to recognize that my position in relationship to my brothers and sisters is that of a servant. That goes for pastors, right? Because that's who he's really talking to here, right? I mean, that's the, that's the profundity and the power of it is that, there's a lot of peace today. He, he, is, he is taking this and he's telling these pastors, these elders, that look how I was. I served with all humility. He's saying, you need to serve with all humility too. The pastor isn't like a lord over people. The pastor is a servant of people, right? And Peter said that too. Oh, here's another P. Where, where he serves, he tells the shepherds to serve the flock of God, which was among them in his letter, right? So that's what humility is. Humility is an attitude and a spirit and a a deliberate commitment. Humility is not something... Listen, you ready for this? We often speak of people as being humbled. And yes, to some extent that can happen. But may I say to you that I don't believe that humility is anything that is truly forced on anyone. People aren't humbled. People respond to certain things with humility. Right? If... If you feel like life has humbled you, 
It's because life circumstances were hard and you finally realized this isn't about me. I need God and I am a servant. That's what real humility is. Would you like me to prove it to you? Shake your head yes. And while you're doing that, turn to Philippians chapter 2. When we talk about humility, we always turn to this chapter, don't we? And, and, you know, we have the shorter time today because of the Lord's Supper. And so there's a whole bunch of other passages we can look at. And I just had to pick one for you today. And if you're going to pick one, this is the one you have to look at. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's look at the humility of our Lord Jesus and then how that is supposed to be an example for the humility of all of us. But let's watch, let's watch and see, watch and see as I read, what the humility of Jesus is. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, Paul says to this church, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But, ready? Here is a three-word definition of humility. Ready? But in what? Lowliness of mind. That is what humility is. That's, that's the best definition of humility I think you will ever find anywhere. And of course you find it in the Bible, right? Lowliness of mind. It is in your mind asserting and affirming and agreeing with and deciding and choosing the low path. I'm not above others, right? Let, look what it says, what do you do? What do you do in lowliness of mind? Is this, you know, I told you the word that I used to describe all this was position, right? Is this not the description of a position? What does it say? Let, it says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Is that not the description of how you position yourself before others? That's why I say, that's what humility is. Humility is a positioning of your... Humility is saying, I'm going to put others ahead of myself. Which, by the way, is also a description of what? Love. So you can see the intertwined nature of humility and love. Right? Love is perhaps the action, the outworking of humility, which is the the position, the place you put yourself in in your heart. We sometimes get that wrong. We say love is a feeling in our heart. Love is actually an outworking of something. It's an outworking of recognizing and esteeming, that is, placing, reckoning, thinking of others as better than myself. That's not my word. Better? Better? That's the biblical word. You see it there, right? Better. I'm to esteem others better than myself in lowliness of mind. The Apostle Paul says to the Philippian church, if there's any consolation, if there's any joy, if there's any hope of the Spirit, if there's any this, if there's any that, please, please, please be this among yourselves. Lowliness of mind. Esteem others better than yourself. That's humility. Let each of you Look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of what? Others. Others. Y'all are following along with me, right? Now look at verse 5. 
So Paul, Paul could say that and stop there, right? I mean, that would be enough. Paul, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell you why. Here's why. Look, you've got to understand this, Christian. Here's why you need to, in lowliness of mind, humility, esteem others better than yourself. Here's, because if you don't, <laughs> you're out of line with somebody really important. And here he is. Let this mind, what mind? The lowliness of mind. Humility. The lowliness of mind he just called them to. Let, I went out, didn't I? It's those batteries, man. You want to, they're pretty low quality batteries, but do you know what? I came prepared today. Yeah. Not getting held up today, man. I am ready. Shoveled snow and put spare batteries in my pocket. We are all over it today. Now watch the batteries be no good. I'm pretty sure they're new. How are we doing? Am I back? Am I back? Am I back? <laughs> all right. So, which of course makes me completely forget where I was. We're in Philippians. Let this mind, the mind that is loneliness of mind, esteeming others, be in you, which was also in who? Look at it. Look at it. Not everyone's looking at it. Look at your Bible. I want you. To, this is how you learn in church. You follow along with me when I'm reading these things. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And now, and now, here's the outworking of this mind in Christ. Ready? Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no repetition. That phrase sometimes gets confused. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What, it really, what it's really referring to, I've, I've looked into this in the past, I won't go into all the details today for time's sake, but it's talking about the fact that Jesus, the idea of robbing is to grab something and snatch it and hold on to it and run away. So that's the idea of robbery there. So Jesus did not consider the fact that he was equal with God to be something to grab and to hold on to when he was here in this world. You talk about a decision to be lowly of mind. Jesus was God in the flesh when he was here on the earth. But Jesus didn't reach out and grab onto that and hold onto it. He chose lowliness of mind. He chose humility among men that he had created. So he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, which is the word slave. He made himself a slave, if you can imagine that. And coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then it goes on to say, therefore, look, what's, what's the end result of all of it? You know, all of this humbling of yourself and all of this service and all of this esteeming others better than yourself, that's how we live in this world and there's reward at the end. Did you know that? I think it's a little picture of that. Not, not rewarded the way Jesus was, but therefore, therefore, that means there's a connection between what he did and what he got. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Why did God exalt him and give him the name which is above every name? Because when he was here, even though he was God, he didn't think that was something to 
to like grab and hold on to and run with. He let it go. And he humbled himself and he gave his life for our sins. Jesus did that. That's why you should, in lowliness of mind, in all humility, esteem others better than yourself. Because Christ did. You see? All right. Okay, that's point number one. Now back to Acts. So number one, he served the Lord in his position. His relational position, the position of humility. Number two, he served the Lord in his perseverance. Serving the Lord with all humility, look, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Right? So he humbled himself, and what did his humbling self himself get? Did it get him people liking him? Did he humble himself so people would like him and approve of him? Oh, Paul is so humble. Let's be good to him. No. He persevered through. Here you go. I just gave you three P's. Now I'm going to give you three T's. You ready? He persevered through tears, trials, and tampering. Really? He did. He, as he ministered and as he served, there were, cause, there were many causes and occasions for tears. And there were many troubles, which is exactly what Jesus had promised. And there was even tampering with his ministry. He speaks here of the plotting and the scheming of the Jews behind his back. As Paul, listen, as Paul, in love and obedience towards God and in all humility towards the people of the church, was serving and preaching the gospel and making disciples, he had enemies. And the idea of the Jews here is not just Jews who were outside, but even some who were inside the body. At every turn, in the church, outside of the church, everywhere, he had people tampering with what he was doing. They were plotting. And we know that. Look, let me me give you a couple of illustrations of this. Turn to 2 Timothy. Come on, turn there. 2 Timothy, let's go. Important. And, And Timothy, of course, was eventually part of the same church here, Ephesus. 2 Timothy... Tears, trials, and tampering. Paul personally warns Timothy about all three of them in this letter. Right? Starting right in the beginning of the book. Verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. And he goes on to describe that a little bit. right? So when he writes to Timothy, he recognized Timothy is in one of those seasons that Paul was describing for the Ephesus elders in the occasion in Acts chapter 20 that we're reading. Timothy was ministering and Timothy was struggling and Timothy was in tears. One of the sources of Timothy's tears was the fact that Paul was in prison again and was probably staring at the end of his life this time. And Timothy was wondering, how come 
if we're doing all of this preaching? How come if we're doing all of this teaching? How come if we're doing all of this ministry? Why are things so hard all the time? And Timothy was in tears over it. And what does Paul say about that? He says, I know. He says, I know. I really want to see you. I'm mindful. I know. I know of your tears. Right? I want to see you that I might be filled with joy when I remember your faith. Look what he goes on to describe for him in verse 6. He says, I remind you what? Stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Why? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you notice, the, do you notice what that says? It says that the spirit that's been given to us is one of power one of love, and of a sound mind. But you have to do something with that. What does he tell Timothy to do? Stir up the gift that was in you by the laying on of my hands. What is that? The gift to be the pastor of this church. The gift to be the preacher of this church. The gift to preach and teach and minister and serve the Lord. Even through his tears. Even through your tears. God, look, I know I'm mindful of your tears, but the spirit that God has given you is one of power, one of love, and of sound mind. So don't you sit back. Don't you lay back. Don't you get discouraged. You stir up that gift that was given to you, and you stay at it, and you keep going. Yeah, yeah, there's tears. Yeah, there's trouble. But you keep going. That's number one. Then he speaks of trials. Look ahead in Second Timothy here to chapter 2. Trials need to be endured. He told Timothy in this letter like four times that he needs to endure trials and endure hardships. Uh, chapter 2, look at verse 3. He tells Timothy, who's in the middle of trials, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That's where, that's where trials overtake us. Instead of turning and looking to the one who's overcome the world, we get intertwined with the world. Instead of trusting in the one who has overcome the world, we try in the power of our own flesh to do battle with the world. We try to fight the world, or we get wrapped up with the world, or we get sucked into the world, or we live in the world, or we love the world. Scripture says the love of God is not even in us when we do that, right? Paul tells Timothy here, first of all, you need to endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Then he says, no one engaged in warfare, like a soldier, right? And entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier, right? You enlist in an army as a soldier and you're going off to battle, you can't have things of civilian life tying you down and entangling you. You must be fully devoted to it. And he goes on and he adds, also if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So you need to, not only do you need to serve, but you need to do it God's way, not your own way. And then number six, the hard-working farmer, when you read that, you emphasize the word, you put the inflection on the word hard-working. In other words, not just a farmer, but a hard-working farmer. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. 
In other words, if you're going to yield fruit, you, you, you got to expect you're going to have to work hard at it. So listen, I know your tears and I know your trials, but as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you number one, need to not be entangled with the world, right? Number two, you need to do it God's way. And number three, you need to be, what? Working hard at it. Don't give up. Keep going. And then finally, the third thing that he mentioned in the Acts thing, the tampering, that's here too. You see back in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, you see verse 15, it says, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So, so Paul actually names here, Asia is where Ephesus was, what's known as Turkey today. Paul actually names here people who had turned away from him. You know why a lot of that turning away had happened? Because he was being undermined. And he mentions that in this letter as well. Look at chapter 4 of, of 2 Timothy. Chapter 4 and verse 14. See what he says? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. That's, that's, hey, that's, that's not a good thing to have that written about you in the Bible. Right? But seriously... What you don't want to be someday is someone who's going to stand before the Lord and we all must give an account of ourselves to God. You don't want to be someone who stands before the Lord someday having been like Alexander the coppersmith, having undermined the work of the Apostle Paul or any church or any pastor or any ministry of the gospel. You understand that? But Paul tells Timothy, you know what? I endured it. And you must too. Look, God will take care of it, right? It doesn't say, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Timothy, get some men and go take care of him. Right? You notice it doesn't say that. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Timothy, you just keep going. Stir up the gift that's in you. Don't get entangled in the world. Endure the hardships and any undermining that comes your way, just let the Lord deal with it in his time. You keep going. Now, Paul, when he's talking to the elders of the Ephesus church in this speech at Miletus, that's what he's pointing to. Look back at that. See, it all makes sense now, right? Chapter 20 in the book of Acts. Serving the Lord with all humility. We talked about that. With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. You know what that indicates? Think for a minute. Think for a minute. That indicates that Paul was completely aware of the fact that he had people plotting and scheming against him and undermining him. And he tells the elders of the church, I know that. But when I was with you, I was there with all humility, serving the Lord, even though I was fully aware that people were scheming and undermining me. And he just did it anyway. That's an example for them. That's an example for those Ephesian elders. May I say to you, it's an example for every Christian. Every Christian who truly, in all humility, desires to serve the Lord and obey the Lord, you can expect tears, you can expect trials, and you can expect tampering. 
Because the real spirit behind all of that is Satan, who walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You stay faithful, you you keep going. And then the third thing in all of this, I have some really, I think, good things I want to say about this. Just look at this statement. I'll save some of it for next week, but let me just let me just close out by since I'm running out of time here, but we looked at his position, that's humility. We looked at his perseverance through the tears and the trials and the tampering. But now he has a real clear statement of his purpose here, doesn't he? A real clear statement. What was Paul all about? What was his ministry all about? What are these Ephesian pastors supposed to be all about? What is Pastor Lou supposed to be all about? What is Fellowship Bible Church supposed to be all about? What is every Bible-believing church supposed to be all about? How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that his purpose was that of the work of the Great Commission. Preach the gospel and make disciples. Do you know that in that long statement, there is the who, what, where, when, why, and how of his mission clearly spelled out? Who, what, where, when, why, how? Not in that order, unfortunately. That would be too easy, right? Real quick, I'll elaborate on it next week, but now I introduced it, so I have to give it to you. Um, Listen, why did Paul say the things that he said? Because they were helpful. That's the why. See, he says it right there. I kept back nothing from you that was helpful. Paul didn't get wrapped up in useless things. He gave to them in his ministry that which was helpful. Learn to recognize what is truly helpful and useful in the ministry of the Great Commission and commit yourself to that and dispense with things that are not. That's the why. How? How did Paul do it? There's three words in there. He says, I didn't keep anything back, but I proclaimed it to you and taught you, right? Testifying, verse 21 says. Proclamation, teaching, testifying. That's how he did his work. That's what's essential in the ministry of a pastor. That's what's essential in the ministry of a church. We proclaim the truth of God. We teach people the ways of God. We testify of the gospel of Christ. That's the how. Who's the who? Everyone. You see it? Who did he teach? Verse 21. Jews and also Greeks. Raise your hand if you're either Jewish or Gentile. Go ahead. Raise your hand if you're either a Jew or a Gentile. No, I mean it. Raise your hand if you're either a Jew or a Gentile. All your hands should be up, right? A Jew is a Jewish person. A Gentile is a person of the world who's not Jewish. So you're one or the other, right? Paul, who is the who of Paul's mission? Everybody! He taught them all. 
The where and the when are the same thing. He says publicly and house to house. Publicly and house to house. So where did he teach them? He'd teach them wherever they would listen. When did he teach them? He'd teach them whenever they would listen. Right? When he says house to house, a lot of people look at that and they, they kind of like read into it like the basis for a really big like house church or home group ministry. And that's fine. I, that, that, that's totally fine. But I really don't think that's what that means. I think what Paul is talking about there was if he had an opportunity to proclaim and teach things that were helpful in public, he did it. And if he had an opportunity just to go to somebody's house and do it, he did it. Right? So in other words, he did it whenever and he did it with whomever. And he did it wherever. But then finally is the what. That was the why, the how, the who, the where, and the when. What's the what? Well, I love the what. What's the what? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And also the beginning of that. I kept back nothing that was helpful. So everything that was helpful. What is the emphasis of the ministry of every pastor? To preach the word of God and call people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll elaborate on all of this more next week. But understand something. A pastor, these elders, a pastor, every Christian, every church should emphasize. Why do we do what we do? We emphasize what is useful and helpful. How do we do what we do? We proclaim the truth. We teach the truth. We testify to the truth. Who do we give it to? Jews and Gentiles. Everyone. Where do we do it and we, when do we do it? Here? In public? House to house? Anytime? Anywhere? And what do we do? We proclaim Christ. Crucified. Risen from the dead. We call people to repentance. And we call them to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gets with these elders, sets forth the example how he served, talked about how he served the Lord, and described for them the position from which he did, which was humility, the perseverance which he lived, which was through tears and trials and even tampering. And then, of course, he describes the purpose for his ministry and theirs which is the purpose of Christ's great commission to preach the gospel and make disciples. Stand up with me, please, and we'll close our service here today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, most holy Lord God, that we can be here today, and thank you for all those who are joining us online I know we're missing some people with the weather outside, but still a good number of us here today, and I thank you for that. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to receive this word that we just heard and help us to be doers of it. Help us, Lord God, to consider that Christ didn't even consider his divinity, his equality with you, something to be held on to when he was here, but rather he made himself a slave. And how we, Lord God, should in our own minds be low-minded, humble-minded, humble-spirited, and prefer others to ourselves. Help us to live and serve from the position of humility, Lord God. Hallelujah. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to endure and persevere through all trials and all hardships. 
And we pray that you would help us to focus on the purpose for which you have established us, the purpose for which you dwell among us, which is the purpose of preaching the gospel and making disciples. The only thing that offers hope in this world because it's not bound up in this world. It's about the world to come. It's about your kingdom where there's real life and real hope. Help us to learn from these things and be doers of it. Thank you for each one who's here and listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.